Hebrews chapter 10, and I'll read in just a few minutes, uh, starting about verse 19 and uh, going down to verse 25. Y'all, uh, every Sunday you acknowledge your birthdays and uh, uh, anniversaries, and um, I probably should have stood up or at least said something this, this week because um, my, my, my wife and I have celebrated our 25th anniversary on this Thank you for that, but uh, that was on July the 6th, and uh, we, we made the big deal of we went out to eat for our anniversary. Uh, 25 years, of course, we've more memori- uh, memorialized than that, but uh, that's what we did, and uh, uh, we've been fighting about it. <laughs> no, no, we haven't. That's a lie. Uh, the rest of what I'm going to say is true. So, uh, but July the 6th, as a date, uh, it, it's probably not that meaningful to too many people. It is to us because it's our 25th anniversary. Uh, 25 years ago, on a Saturday in 1996, I got to marry uh, Vanessa Ruth Violet. That's who she was at the time. Uh, I changed her name. She's now Vanessa Tilly. But um, there was the usual pomp and circumstance with our wedding. Uh, a lot of church weddings, we think we're in in church, a lot of church weddings are, well, that pomp and circumstance that comes with it. It's important to us, but I'll admit to you, it's one of the thousand weddings, or thousands of weddings that happen that particular year, just like there are every year. But as much as it may not have been that big of a deal to too many people other than us, when they just came and witnessed that wedding, I can tell you without a shadow of any doubt at all, that that date and that ceremony changed my life. Everything was different because of that. That ceremony that we went through, it opened up the gates for me to spend the rest of my life, and I hope I have a lot more life to live, and I hope every year of it, every minute of it is with her, but I got to spend my life up to this point with the person who was, and I will say continues to be, my favorite person in the world. All of those solemn vows, and we, we did what you might consider pretty traditional vows. And I know it's not everybody does traditional vows anymore, but we did what you consider traditional vows. All those traditional vows, those solemn vows, those promises we made with each other, put in motion a life that I won't say has been perfect, but it's been pretty good. We've enjoyed it. It's been enjoyable. We've been able to build together a, a good life, a vibrant trust, something that even in a very difficult time in our family has endured some difficult circumstances of late, and that trust and that life that we built together is something we could lean in on and depend on because of what happened 25 years ago. That event commemorated a love that Despite the fact that my kids think it's absolutely gross and disgusting, I don't mind, and sometimes I'll even insist, like I'm forcing y'all to listen to my love story right now, I don't mind and even insist on telling people that I really love that one. That day in July, 25 years ago, it changed everything for me. Again, it may not have done anything for you, because you didn't marry her, or me for that matter. But it changed my life. It changed everything. In the exact same way that that day was a culmination that really was a before my marriage and 
sent my marriage because it was a culmination point. In the same way, this passage I'm about to read to you is a turning point. It's a turning point in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, if you know anything about it, is probably written as a bit of a sermon. It's just a long sermon. Y'all better be glad I'm not preaching that sermon, whole sermon. But it's a sermon just the same. It's set up as a sermon. And it's structurally set up where it's got an opening, uh, the opening section. Uh, it's an opening section that transitions about chapter 4. And it's the, the, the paragraph of chapter 4, verse 14 to 16 marks the second section. And the markings there look exactly like the section here that we're about to look at. So the point is that structurally it's a, it's a, it's a changing point. But thematically it's a changing point as well. Because the first section is all about how Jesus is better, better than the angels. He's the one who brought about this great salvation. The second section that begins in chapter 4 says that he's better than the law, better than the priesthood, better than, better than the sacrifices that were offered up until that point. And here we're now entering into a section in verse 19, or, uh, verse 19 of chapter 10, that because Jesus is better, He's a better sacrifice. He's a better, better than the law, better than the prophets, better than the angels, better than all of those things. Because that's who he is, it changes everything. And he talks about, for the next few verses, what's possible because of what Jesus has done. I'm going to ask you, I uh, don't ask you to do this every time, I'm going to ask you this morning to stand with me. I'm going to read the passage here together. I'll begin in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning verse 19. You're able to stand, would you stand out of reverence to the reading of the Lord's Word? And we'll read all the way down to verse 25. Here's what the scripture tells us. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil that is to save his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the perfection of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful to promise. And let us consider one another to provoke and to love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Would you pray with me? Lord, I want to say thank you for your word. I want to thank you for the truth of the gospel. I want to thank you for the opportunity to stand with these people in honor of your word, to hear your words, and know that they have come from you. Now, this morning, as we try to preach to them, as they try to hear what I have, have prepared to share with them, would your Holy Spirit please come and and He works in our hearts, motivate us, encourage us, convict us, do what's necessary to shape us and mold us into Your work. And I'm asking You this in the name of my Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You all can be seated. That day back in July, the 6th, 1996, it wasn't the end of anything. It wasn't. It was the beginning of, at least for me, we all think what you want to, but I'm on the inside of this thing, and I happen to think it's a beautiful thing. I happen to think it's a wonderful thing. 
in the same way the truth of who Jesus is and what he did set in motion a whole world of good stuff. A whole set of things were put into motion. And not just in the future. There are some things we've got to look forward to. We've got heaven to look forward to. We've got all kinds of good stuff in the future. But I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about right now what you can enjoy today because of what Jesus has done. Uh, let's just take a minute to look at what the writer of Hebrews says in verse 19 about what Jesus has done. He says there that having therefore, and he's speaking of Jesus, having therefore boldness, rather we're speaking of us, having therefore boldness, brethren, to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. He says there that Jesus has given us boldness. He's provided this boldness, this ability to enter into the presence of God. We've been given that because He shed His blood on the cross. He did that in verse 20. He says that He's done this by a new and living way, which He has consecrated for us through the veil. And then He explains what He's talking about. He says that is to say His flesh. In other words, the reason you can go into the presence of God, you can enjoy the presence of God, is because Jesus shed His blood, because His body was broken for you. He paid for your sins. He took your place on the cross. He did that for you. He took all of the shame. He took all of the condemnation. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 that because of, uh, because of what Jesus has done, there is therefore now no condemnation. That condemnation is taken away from you. He's given you boldness because that stuff that would have made you ashamed, that stuff that would have weighed you down, that stuff that might have even blocked the door because of it was on you, he took it away and put it on himself. So he gave it you, so that you can bold, have boldness. And he says in verse 21, and having a high priest, this is the other gift that Jesus has given to us. He is a high priest for us. He was the only one who could atone for our sins. Try as hard as you could. You could have went to God and said, Lord, I'll do anything. I'll pay for whatever sin. I know, as when Chad talked about, that we've got this debt that we need to pay. So, Lord, I know i got a debt. But also, like you said, it was a debt you couldn't pay. And you could, you could sit there and say, well, I'll take care of it myself. And you said, no, you can never take care of it. That's the only thing you could ever do. And even this won't take care of it, but spend in a lifetime in eternal damnation and punishment. But that's the only hope that you have. And even that, that's not hope, is it? That's a terrible thing. He provides us with what is needed so that our sins can be atoned for. That's what he does as our high priest. He provides what the high priest would do. He would be the one who was holy, who could approach God, who could go to God. He provided us His holiness so that could happen. He alone had access. You know, back, go back to the Old Testament, the, the, um, the, the law, and talking about how the, the sacrifices were done. It was the high priest was the one who could go into that place where the Lord would show up, where His holy presence would be, the holy of holies, as it was called. Only the high priest could do that. I couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. You could try as you want. There were processes and rituals that you could go through from the book of Leviticus to purify and make yourself holy, but none of it would get yourself to that place where you could go into the holy of holies. You needed the high priest to do that. And Jesus said, I am your high priest. And He has given that, and He has 
standing ready, as John writes in 1 John chapter 2, standing ready to advocate for us. He says there that in, in verse 41 that we have a high priest over the house of God. He's, he's going to walk in there with us and advocate for us. He's ready to do that. These are the gifts that God gives us through Jesus Christ. You all know the verse in Romans, Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 that says, For the wages of sin is death. But then he talks about the gift of God. The gift of God is eternal life in Jesus. You know this verse? The, the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our, our Lord. Well, what is it to mean that we have eternal life? Well, part of that certainly means that we get to live forever. Absolutely. That's what eternal life means. But eternal life is only possible when I can actually have access to God. When I have access to God, I need somebody to break down that wall of partition that Paul writes in Ephesians. I need somebody to give me access. I can't even get to God. But that's part of that's only half the battle. Did you know that if you could break down the wall of, between you and God, that it would be the worst thing in the world you could possibly do? Because you know what that wall does? On one level, it sort of protects you. It sort of keeps back the wrath of God from your sin. But because what Jesus does, He not only breaks down that wall, He has made it so that when that wall is broken down, that you are allowed to go in. You have it, not only have access, but you have accessibility. Acceptability, rather. Acceptability. He allows it so that you can walk in. And then when you walk in, do you know what happens when God sees you? Because of what Jesus has done? He actually loves you and embraces you. You're part of the family of God because of what Jesus has done, you understand? That is how that's happened. So Jesus has done this. I want to make sure that we, this is what the writer here says in verses 19, 20, 21, that he's given us boldness and he's given us a high priest. And because of that, you have some amazing opportunities available to you. If you've got the King James Version, as I'm reading that up, in the verses 22, 23, and 24, he begins each of those phrases with, and let us. Or something similar to that, and let us. He says, because of what Jesus has done, let's do some things. Look at what he says, the first one. Because of what Jesus has done, he says in verse 22, let us draw near with a clear heart. You know, as I just tried to outline to you, you know that you have access to enter into the presence of God. You have the opportunity to do so with full, positive, absolute confidence. Jesus opened the door. He made it possible. He has he has let his body, his body has been broken, his blood has been shed, not only so that he is a perfect sacrifice, but that you can also be holy as well. Your heart, he says there in verse 22, okay, verse 22, he says, draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. He's made your heart clean. He's made your heart clean. He even says there, and our bodies washed with pure with excuse me, your bodies washed with pure water. He's not only made your heart clean; he's even made it so that you are in every aspect of your person acceptable. Y'all ever heard this word? You're justified. So the Bible tells us you have justification. This is what is going on here. He's taking care of everything so that your position before God Almighty is acceptable and love and embrace. He's taking care of it all. 
question. You know what Calvin is? It's time to go in and enjoy the God that God has provided for you. You need to go in and enjoy Him. Think back to that wedding day in 1996. There's a picture of me that is taken as we're exiting the church. Now, the message got this look on her face like, what in the world have I got myself into? On the other hand, I'll have the look on my face like, let's get this part over with because i got other stuff i got on my mind. And there's this look on this face. You could read it on my face. The reason I'm telling you this is, Unless there's something wrong, and there are there can be times where there's something wrong, and I have to break you that. Under normal circumstances, you do not have to tell two newlyweds that y'all go on and get together now, and y'all go on by yourself somewhere. I mean, if y'all have to tell people that, let me just say, big red flag. I, I, I don't know who, I don't know where y'all are from or what y'all do. That's just not how things are supposed to work. What I'm trying to get you to see is when you've got two people who love each other and everything has been done properly, everything is right, everything is set, everybody's on toward, everybody's on in, the, in motion, the ceremony's done. You don't have to say that. Y'all get together now. No, no, no. There's a joy. There's an excitement. There's a let's go, let's go, let's go. Get out! Let's leave this stupid reception. Let's let's leave us. We don't want to talk to all these people. I mean, what are y'all talking about? We've got to go somewhere. Y'all understand what I'm talking about? At least if you don't understand, maybe maybe ask your mama or something. But I hope you understand what I'm talking about. Y'all got to go with me here. Jesus has prepared the way. He's opened the door. The God of the universe is ready for you. We Christians have got to stop acting like it's a drudgery to enjoy the presence of God. Time with the Lord ought to be that time that is looked forward to. Yeah, I understand you got to work, you got to eat, you got to feed the children, you got to mow the grass, you got stuff to do. But come on. You get to spend time with God. You're excited about it. It's not a drudgery. You get to go to church. You get to be, you get to listen to preaching. You get to listen to a Sunday school teacher. You get to do these things. This is a joy. It's not a drudgery. Now, on the other hand, we've got to be careful, too. It's not only not a drudgery, but we've got to quit, that, quit acting like it's not a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a very big deal. You are a child of the King. He has called you into His presence. Come on, get in there and enjoy that time. And let's act like we're going to see the King. Does that mean we need to prepare our minds? I think sometimes we can be a little too flippant about it. Or not even think about it until there's a crisis, and then say, "Oh, I got to talk to God real quick." By the way, talk to Him when you're in that minute. But should we talk to Him some other times too? We got to prepare our minds. We got to prepare our hearts. We got to prepare our bodies. And I just go ahead and tell you, you got to prepare your calendar. 
Because I can just tell you, you can go into the presence of God and spend some time in God, in the Word, and spend some time at church and all that. I can tell you, most of y'all that showed up here this morning, you did not get here by accident. This was a planned activity. It had to be planned. Because I'm telling you, there's enough other stuff that would crowd in on your calendar. Am I right? So the point is, we've got to quit acting like it's not a big deal. It's a significant thing. To relate, a relationship with God, the God of the universe is available to you. So I get to pray. I get to meditate on His Word. I get to rely on Him when I can't see what's going to happen. I get to do these things. I get to do this. Not something that was purchased because I went and worked a job, made a few dollars, wrote a check, but purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. This was available to me. I did that. Because of what Jesus has done, let us, let us draw near. Let's go into the presence of God. Let's enjoy His presence. Because of what Jesus has done, verse 23, He tells us, let us hold fast the perfection of our faith without wavering. I, I, I want to at least acknowledge, and I, I think we're foolish not to not acknowledge on some level, it's a, it's a scary world out there. There's a lot of things in this world, troubling things, that will shake your faith, that will cause you to doubt, that will cause you to fear. There's plenty of stuff. And if you don't have something that in your life that makes you fear and doubt and all that, then you must live a uh, very, very gilded life. I can tell you that I have plenty in my life that causes me to, it rattles me. There's a lot of people out in this world that are laughing. Just the sentiment is shifting all the time. One minute everybody's on board with this thing, the next minute they're on board with that thing. The thing that you thought was cool last month, it ain't cool anymore. It's just, it's always changing, it's always shifting around. And people that you thought you could trust and you probably should be able to trust. They'll promise you things and they'll lie to you. And you, you say, oh my goodness, break your, break your heart. You want to break your heart. But as a Christian, we have, as he talks about here, he says, the perfection of our faith. Now, I will say something about this that, that word faith is that same Greek word that's underneath that is translated almost every other time in the King James Version as the word hope. Now, the thought's basically the same, but I do want to talk about the little nuance of the difference here. But I want you to see here is that it's the perfection of our hope, this idea that it's, it's what we're expecting, what we're anticipating, what we're looking forward to. So there's a forward-looking to this. Again, faith has a similar idea, so I don't think it's wrong, but I do want to point out that there's a particularly more aspect to this, this idea of hope. The point is that as a Christian, I have professed my hope. I proclaim faith in Jesus. Can I just ask y'all real quick? Y'all believe in Jesus? All right, we, we proclaim. At least a handful of you proclaim that you believe in Jesus. But by saying you believe in Jesus, you're saying, this is what the Bible teaches us, that when we say we put our faith in Jesus, we're saying that I have an eternal hope in Jesus and Jesus alone. We're saying that it's because of Him that I have a future. Not just on this earth, but in the life to come. Because of Him, I am no longer condemned. I am not destined for hell. Instead, I am destined for heaven because of what Jesus said. That's what my faith gets me, you understand. 
So in that way, it is a hope. And because my hope or my faith is in Him, that's why He says there, we can hold that fast without wavering. We don't have to wonder, go back and forth. We don't have to sort of second guess. You ever sit down at a restaurant, you've got three things on the menu, and you're saying, man, those all sound good. And by the time the wait, waiter or waitress has come around, you change your mind three or four times. Maybe it's just me, but that's how I do a lot of times. But I finally select something, and the minute he or she walks away, I've done change my mind again, and think, oh, maybe I can bring him back. But now I'm going to go with what I ordered. He's saying that's what you don't need to do with Jesus. You don't need to second guess him. You don't have to waver on your opinion of him. He's already, he's the one you can trust. The same Jesus that saved you is the same Jesus who will keep you in a world that is a mess and is upside down and backwards and is scary and rocks your faith. That same Jesus that saves you is the same Jesus that keeps you. He is fully, that's why he says there in the parenthetical thought, for he is faithful, that promise. He has promised in other parts of the scripture, he has promised to save all who will call on his name in faith. You can take that to the bank. He has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. He has promised to make us a work of his grace. He has promised to be strong when we are weak. He has promised to give us peace that is beyond any kind of a human understanding. He has promised to give us fruit for the labor that we do for him. He has promised to hear and answer our prayers. He has promised to keep us to the day of redemption, and He has promised to come back for us and to take us home with Him. He has promised that and so much more. And you can believe every word. He can be trusted, if He can be trusted to save you, if you have put your faith in Him. He says, let us hold fast. Hold on to that. Don't let go of that just because it's a dark moment and your faith is weak. Just because it's a sad moment and your joy is a little thin. Just because it's a confusing moment and you don't know what to do next. Don't let go of the hope that you have in Jesus. He saved you then. He will keep you now. Because of Jesus, your hope is in Him and He will never, ever, 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 ever disappoint you. Because of what Jesus has done, verse 22, let's draw near to Him. Verse 23, let's hold fast to the hope that we have in Him. Verse 24, let us consider one another to provoke into love and to good work. That word consider has this, has this idea of having concern for, putting other people first. I'm considering you, I'm thinking about you, I'm being considerate of you. That's how we might say it today. I'm considering you, I'm thinking of you. He says, you're going to have concern for others. Put others first. Look out for them. He says, for the purpose of, in verse 24, of provoking or encouraging, sparking them and spurring them on. He says, to provoke unto love and to good work. We're going to have concern for other people. Because of what Jesus has done, we're to have concern for other people to show them and to allow them and enable them to show the love and grace of Jesus Christ. How the world may know where his disciples do. You said that. But also to good work. Because love, as James tells us, love without works is dead. We understand, or rather, faith without works is dead. The same thing with love. Love without works is dead. I can say I love you all you want to. But that's my wife. I can tell her I love her. If I don't ever do anything to show that, then you can question that really, really easily. 
So the point is that I am, because of what Jesus has done, I need to care about other people. I need to consider other people. I need to encourage other people to love. I need to encourage them so that they can do what God has called them to do. In other words, I'm helping those people around me to live out what Jesus has secured for me and for you. That's what we're, ta- we're called to do here. Because just like, just like spending time with God, just like having hope in God in a hard time, those things don't come naturally, do they? You have to sort of turn a little something different on in your brain. You've got to think a little bit harder. You've got to try a little bit extra. You've got to plan a little bit more to do that. Even though it's available to you, in the same way, I know y'all love everybody. Amen. Right? Let's just let's, let's say we all love everybody. And we, we, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just go ahead and look the other way, knowing we're not all telling the truth when we say that. The fact is, we don't naturally love everybody. We don't naturally want to help other people. But he says, because that's not going to happen naturally, we have to work a little extra hard. This is why he says, let us, because of what Jesus has done, well, let's take care, let's make a point to care for each other. So how are we going to do that? In verse 24, or 25, rather, he gives us two ways to do that. He says, really, one, are, one is the negative way, don't do this, and one is the positive way, do do this. Look at verse 24. We're going to help each other. We're going to love each other. We're going to encourage each other. Help each other become what Jesus wants us to be. He says, first, you're not going to do it by forsaking the assembling of yourselves uh, together. He says, you're not going to do this by abandoning each other. Now, certainly in, in view here is this idea of us coming together as we have this morning to worship God in a congregation to worship together. That's, that's part of it. It's not a large part. It is definitely a major part of what he has in view here. But, but the bigger thing I think is coming to get is this idea that we've got to stop abandoning each other. It was a problem in the ancient world. It's a problem in today's world. We've got better things to do. There's always a beach to go to, golf to play, sports the kids are involved. There's always something, is there not? There's always something. But I want to make sure I put this point, because I'm still the visiting preacher here, so I've got to make sure y'all know this. I'm going to make sure I say this to you. Now, I do believe what I'm about to tell you. This is important. We all need to need a break. We all need to be able to take vacations. We all need to enjoy the, the things that God is. It's not saying you can never, ever not be together with God's people. So we got to be careful that we're not abandoning God's people. That we have put ourselves so much in our own lives that we are not even with God's people. You understand that you, because of what Jesus has done, you may say, well, I have a right to do this, that, and everything. And you may well have a right to do that, but Jesus has done something pretty amazing for you. He has put you in a position as that lady sang here, the special song about the church and the, the wonderful things that happen when you get together with God's people. That's what we get because of what Jesus has done. So to never participate in the life of the church because I got better things to do, because I have some petty disagreement with somebody in this church, because of sinfulness on their part, or my part for that matter, because of sickness. I understand that sometimes people are sick and are not able to come. But if that's all those things are good excuses to never get together, whether it's assembling together on a Sunday morning, or coming together for a picnic, or going and visiting people, and all the things that we should do as a church together. If those are things that get in the way, we're missing this, we're actually a abandoning each other, we have forsaken the assembling of ourselves together, and we have missed sight, we've lost sight of the fact that Jesus died for us to give us this family that we can encourage. 
I need you all to hear this very clearly. People are not disposable. People are not disposable. I know that people sometimes hurt their feelings and they do bad things and they do mean things, but those people are the same people that Jesus led him to God for. And I'm not saying that you, they, if they've done some serious damage, you there may be other people that need to help them, but they still are not disposable. They are not to be, to be abandoned, to be destroyed. They are to be loved and to be cared for. And we need to be careful not to do that. He says there that the way we consider that we look out for each other, to encourage each other, to, to love and to good work, at first, we can't abandon them. But then he says in the last part there, but exhorting one another. This idea of encouraging. We've got to stop abandoning each other because we've got better things to do. And we need to start encouraging each other. How do we do that? He says there that we, he says there that, that, that we need to do this even more so as we see the day approaching. But how do we, how do we do this? We do this by what you're doing this morning. I can't tell you, my, I'm speaking myself, I can't speak to everybody here, but I'm saying, I can't tell you how many times when I've come to church, whether I'm seated on the pew or I'm standing in the pulpit, how many times just coming to church and being with people who actually want to be there, that's, that's the important note, by the way, people who want to be there to enjoy the singing, to enjoy the fellowship, to enjoy the preaching, what that does to my heart. I imagine it might be a tough thing with people from the office. That's an encouragement. So that just attending the, cert, the, the worship service, participating in the life of the church, because there's more to the church than just the Sunday morning gathering, you understand. There is also being present for each other. Again, sometimes people have to be out sick for one reason or another, but we have to realize that Jesus died for us to give us this church, so we're going to do the best we can to be present for those people in those circumstances. Why are we doing it? Because we're sweet people? Well, I hope it's because we're sweet people. But you know why you ought to be doing it? Because Jesus died for you, gave you opportunity, and gave you, gave you that, that opportunity to have these people, and so you're going to be present for them. You're going to fellowship with them. Sometimes it's going to be in the church service, sometimes it's going to be in the community, but you're going to fellowship and serve one another. And you know we're going to really need, we need each other generally, but we're going to even more, as he says there, as the day approaches, we're going to need each other even more. So, if Jesus has done what he says in verses 19, 20, and 21, I'll put shorthand on it. If he saves you, if Jesus has saved you, you need to act like it. You may say, well, Matthew, well, then I, I'm a good person. I try to live a good life. I try to come to church pretty regular. That's not what the passage is talking about. We need to act like it. We need to draw near, enjoy the presence of God from time to time. We need to hold on in those difficult times. Believe and hope in His Word. And we need to love other people. We need to realize we need them and they need us. If Jesus saves you, act like it. And there might be one person here, and I'll closing, I promise you. There might be a person, there might be a handful of people. I don't know how many. This the Holy Spirit himself knows. I do not know. But there may be somebody here that I'm telling you these things. You may say, well, Matthew, I don't even think it's possible. 
I, I don't know how to draw near to God. I don't, I don't feel like I can do that. I don't feel like I'm able to put me in His presence. I, I can't hold on to something because I never held on to it to begin with. I don't, I don't really have that hope in Jesus. I, I, I want to like other people, but man, I'm, what you're talking about looks like a big commitment. It doesn't feel possible for me. I want to encourage you that this, this thing works two ways. Maybe y'all don't think like I do, but I'll think this way. This statement I just made you, this, this sermon I made you, works two ways. If you've been saved, you can start out from worship. But if you've never been saved, you go to Jesus. If you can't do those things, you go to Jesus and let Him save you. Go to Him and ask Him to change your heart. He will make it possible for you to be near to Him. He will make it possible for you to hold on. He will make it possible for you to love people. So I want to encourage you, whether you're a believer and you say, well, actually, I got saved back in whatever year that you can remember that I got saved, hallelujah, start acting like a Christian. But if you're somebody who's never put your faith in Jesus, I want to encourage you, come to Jesus today. He makes this possible. He transforms a person to someone who loves other people, who holds on and enters into the presence of God. I want to encourage you to do that this morning.